So today, we're going to be digging into the series that we've been in over the last couple of weeks called Don't Be a Grinch. Don't be a Grinch. And what we've been doing is having some fun. How many of you know you can have faith and fun? Right? For those of you online, how many of you know you can have faith and fun? Come on. Right? We can have faith and fun. And so we've been drawing some parallels between the Grinch and people in the scriptures that were losing out on the gift that Christ was to them at his birth. And, you know, Christ has not stopped being a gift to any one of us. But you can't be a Grinch about it. You see, the Grinch was this grouchy, solitary kind of guy. He lived on this, in this cave on Mount Crumpet all by himself, just him and his dog. And what was interesting about this guy, the Grinch, is that he hated people in this little town called Whoville. But what, what, what puzzles me is that he hated their cheer. He hated their joy. He hated their warm-hearted approach to one another. And above all, he hated their festivities every Christmas. According to the story, for 53 years he endured hearing their joy. He loathed seeing their gift-giving and receiving. And he just could not understand what was so good about Christmas that brought great cheer. And so he decided to cancel Christmas. He wanted to rob the who's, not of Christmas itself, but of its joy. And what's into, what I'd like to point out is that, you know, there are many Grinches in this day and age that live that same way, that we loathe the things that bring us joy, that we reject the things that God wants to bring to our lives. And my question is, how does anyone arrive at this point? How do you get to the point that you hate joy? How do you get to the point that you, you despise someone who's, who's experiencing goodness? Now, I'm not suggesting that anyone here is there, but the reality is that this is the world that we're in. And I want to talk to you today from the heart of God on the topic of good news for great joy. Good news for great joy, because the way that the, the Grinch got there was because he did not know that he had a part in the joy that was the who's. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about directly from the story. It says, he did hear a sound rising over the snow. Right? So he's robbed them of all their gifts, and he's expecting to hear their sorrow. And he hears this sound rising over the snow, and it started in low. But then it started to grow. But the sound, the sound wasn't sad. Why? The sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so. But it was merry, merry. He, he stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. You see, what he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, the Grinch, the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, he stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. 
And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. I love that story. You know, it's interesting, but the, the author of this, of this book that was written in 1957 wrote it as a criticism of what people were allowing Christmas to become. They were losing sight of the spirit of Christmas, which is Christ, ladies and gentlemen. And so, like the Grinch, there were many in Jesus' day at his birth that did not know that they played a part in God's plan for all people to live with joy. They did not know. And a certain group that we're going to look at today was made up of a band of shepherds. Now, I want to give you the context of where we're going to go today in the scripture by first pointing to you what was going on in this region, what was happening at the birth of Christ. You see, in those days, Rome ruled what was the known world. In that day and age, people believed that the world was made up of Greece, Spain, North Africa, the Mediterranean region, which included ancient Palestine. And so the way history records it, and the Bible actually alludes to this, Caesar calls for a worldwide census. And what he does is he says, everyone go back to your hometown. We want to get an accurate count of what, uh, what, what is under the rule of Rome. And so this is where we get the instance in the scripture where it records that Joseph and Mary were on their way to Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Now, history also records that this era was known as the Pax Romana, which just in plain English means peace by Rome. Peace by Rome. But the thing is, it wasn't peace by Rome. It was actually peace by force. You see, Rome ruled the known world, and it was by intimidation. It was by harsh uh, uh, a reach into different areas. So if you weren't Roman, you were disregarded. You were mistreated. And as such, they, one of the ways that they intimidated people was in the city, before you entered city gates, what they had were crucifixions that were visible to people. And so as you were walking into these towns, you would see the power of Rome and people would fear. So there was peace from the outside but there was no peace on the inside. They were crushing people. And in the midst of this, there were arising bands of militant Jews that were called zealots. And these people were in the practice of finding ways to resist the rule of Rome. They were even attempting to overthrow the rule of Rome. And so Rome harshly crushed these bands that rose up, which tells us something, that amongst the people of Israel, many wanted peace. They wanted joy. They wanted a return to those days where God reigned over them. But the thing is, they were going about it wrong. You see, many Jews rose up and they sought peace by joy, peace and joy by force. Others, they hoped that it would one day be restored, and so they looked forward to the return of the Messiah. And then others just outrightly gave up. And in the midst of all this going on, outside of a little town called Bethlehem was a band 
of shepherds out in the cold, tending to sheep, just another regular cold night. Now, shepherds in these days were known as social outcasts. They were viewed this way because they were kept, uh, their work kept them from routinely going to the temple for weeks at a time. In addition to that, they were also viewed as social outcasts because uh, they, they, the, the work that they did as shepherds ceremonially defiled them. And so according to the religious ruling class, these people were no good. So much so that opinions rose up which became common that they were viewed as thieves wherever they went. They were considered unreliable in their testimony in court. And in the eyes of the religious elite and many, they were uh, dirty, defiled sinners. They had no hope. So where does that lead us to in view of these shepherds? The reality is that these people lived life alone. They lived life alone. They endured hardships, not just due to the climate, the sun by day and the cold winds and the sand that blew by night. It wasn't just because of the predators that were around that lurked constantly to try and overtake their, their flocks. It wasn't just the rejection. It was the reality that in their perspective, we're no good. But on one particular night, this night that we're going to look at, they received news. News that changed their lives. News that we would be wise to consider ourselves. That we might embrace the true gift that Christ is to our lives. Not just on Christmas, but, but ladies and gentlemen, every day. It's the gift of Christ. And so let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 8. And it tells us that there were shepherds that were living out in the fields. And they were keeping watch of their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause, watch this, great joy for all the people. How many people? All, all the people. I want you to consider what God was attempting to do here. So verse 11 goes on to say, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you of the heavenly host. Uh, 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 and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, watch this, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, listen to what they declared, glory to God in the highest heaven and on the earth to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord, uh, that, that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What's powerful about this, if you consider it, is that these guys initially hear this message and what they perceive it to be is bad news. How do we know that? They were afraid. They were afraid. The thought that God would send a message to them spooked them. So let's bring that to modern day, right, our everyday lives. If God brought you a message, you'd probably be thinking, uh-oh, what did I do? 
when I grew up in the church that I grew up in, if the pastor called on you, it was like, uh-oh, what does he know that nobody else knows that only I know, right? So the lights go off on these guys, and they're afraid. They're thinking that this is bad news, that God is reaching out to them. But as we just read, it was actually good news. It was life-changing news. It was news that brought them an opportunity for great joy. And friends, oftentimes we forget that we have good news even when everything else around us is bad. We forget that we have reason for great joy. So what did this mean to these shepherds? What does it mean to us? Think about it. These were people that were told constantly that they grew to, the, to, to, to believe that they were no good for God, that they were unqualified, that they were unclean, that they were rejects. And what we see here is that this meant to them, and it means to us, that God loves all people. Friend, God not only loves you, God loves everyone around you. God loves everyone around you. You know, you tell people that, and what people will tell you oftentimes is why they're not good enough for God or why they believe that they're unlovable before God. They'll tell you how they have to clean their act up to be right with God. Friends, if we need to clean our acts up to be right with God, we don't need Jesus. We don't need Jesus. But the truth is we do need Jesus. Because even while we mess up, he's fixed everything up for us. The game is fixed, friend. I said the game is fixed. God has brought good news. So God loves all people. What else do we see? That no matter if you want or know God, God wants you and knows you. God wants us and he knows us. He sees us. And he's concerned for us. What we also see is that you and I belong in God's family because God wants relationship with us. God desires to be in personal relationship with us. He reached out to the most undesirable people according to man's opinion. And what we also see is that while these people had no favor with men, they had the favor of God. See, God favors you and I. He desires you and I to know that we are his favorite. Now, there are some of us that might be of the opinion, how could you say that I'm God's favorite? Let me tell you why you are God's favorite. Let me tell you why I am God's favorite. Let me tell you why we are all God's favorite, whether you believe in Christ or not, because there's only one of you. There's only one of you. God only created one of you. You are uniquely made, the scripture says. And God has created you for good things. And so God favors you and I. Now, life today is no different than it was for these shepherds. I'll tell you why I say that. Because we all know loneliness. We all endure hardships. As a matter of fact, we're all chasing after something. These shepherds were chasing after sheep, right? And they were getting nowhere up until this point. The same is true for us. We're all chasing something at some point in our lives. They lived in a cold world, not just physically, but it was a cold world even back then. And if you look around and you just listen to the bad news that they call real news or any news, it's a cold world out there today, right? And we all know what it is to feel far from God, just like they did. But I've got good news for you, friends. Good news that brings great joy. 
God wants to restore your reason for joy. God wants you to see that you can truly have joy, not just in this life, but for eternity. God wants you to know that there's more in store, that there's more to joy than feelings. And I'll share a portion of scripture with you that comes directly out of the life of King David. King David at this point had made a tragic mistake. He had committed adultery with a woman that wasn't his wife. He had killed a man who was her husband. He had done great atrocities. He had lied. He had cheated. He'd done it all. And in Psalm 51, 12, the, the, uh, King David says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, Restore to me the reason for my joy. Restore to me the understanding that, hey, even while I've messed up, your salvation is still true for my life. You've still made a way for me. And so he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, in this salvation, in this gift that we have in Christ, there is reason for great joy. You know why? Because this salvation isn't a one-time thing. This salvation covers us for the rest of our lives. It covers our existence. That word salvation there speaks of so much more than just forgiveness of sin. It talks about peace. It talks about joy. It talks about relationship. It talks about prosperity. It talks about provision. It's talking about the goodness of God. And David says, help me get back to this place where I see why I can be joyous even in my mess up. He says, uphold me with a willing spirit. See, what David came to understand was this. Joy is possible, but it's all wrapped up in what God has given for me, for us, for the world. And so what can we learn from these shepherds? What can we begin to glean from the lives of these shepherds? And the first thing that I want us to consider from the scriptures and for reflection and application is that joy changes everything. Let me say that again. Joy changes everything. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? The reason that Christ came into the world was to introduce good news. Good news for the purpose of great joy in the life of people. That's what happened to these shepherds. Now think about this. Their lives had been fully devoted up until this point to seeking sheep, to searching for the wayward sheep, to seeking for new pasture lands for the sheep, to seeking out for lurking predators that threaten the sheep. You know what that all equated to? This is going to be real corny. I'm just giving you a heads up. Bah, humbug. <laughs> it, it, everything was about sheep. That's what their lives were about. And verse 15 is very interesting in the scriptures that we just read in Luke 2 because it tells us that the Lord announced to them, I bring you good news for great joy. I bring peace to all men. I'm establishing something brand new, friends. See, when they received the good news, they not only heard it, they believed it. They believed that this joy was possible for them because it was all wrapped up in Jesus. And joy changes our lives and everything to such an extent that what we see from the example of these shepherds is that they left the sheep to go and search 
of the promised Savior. Yes, sir. Listen closely. When you understand that everything in life consists through Christ, when you begin to believe and get a hold of the fact that everything that you desire and your purpose and all that your life is meant to be is wrapped up in knowing Christ and discovering all that he has for you, what you hold on to that you value no longer holds the value it used to. You begin to see things in a greater light. You begin to desire for something more. See, everyone is seeking for something in life. Isn't that true? Everybody's seeking for something in life. Some people, they wrap it up in money. Other people, they're seeking acceptance. Some are seeking significance. Some are seeking personal advancement. Some are seeking a sense of fulfillment. But let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about this? Why do we go seeking? I submit to you that what we're not seeking is money. What we're not seeking is advancement. What we're not seeking is significance. What we're not seeking is a sense of fulfillment. What do you, what do you experience when you get that money? Before you get to the headaches. What do you get when you're seeking advancement? Before you get to the headaches. I'll tell you what we're seeking. We're seeking the experience of enjoyment. You know what we're really seeking? We're seeking joy. So the question is, why aren't we living lives full of joy? Maybe that's where you find yourself. Why is it that no matter what you get, you don't have this joy? And I'll tell you why we lack joy when we seek these things. Because none of those things produce joy. They don't. As a matter of fact, Psalm 1611 puts it this way. It says, you make known to me the path of life. Watch this. In other words, God, you've shown me the way for life. And here's the result. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Get what this is depicting for us. It's revealing to us that as we walk on the journey of life, following after God, following Christ, we begin to discover true joy. See, joy is not a thing. Joy is the presence of God in our lives. See, when you walk with God, life is better. <laughs> I mean, life really is better. And what the psalmist here is revealing is that as he's walking on the journey, on this path of life, that he discovers the presence of God, and in that presence is fullness of joy. Get this, this is not just momentary joy. This is not a moment where I feel happy. This is joy that overflows. This is joy in the good times. This is joy in the bad times. This is joy at all times. This is joy when I'm up. This is joy when I'm down. This is joy when I have. This is joy when I don't have. It's joy as a matter of life. See, the only thing that can give us joy is not a thing. Friends, it's God. It's God. It's God. And when we seek God above things, according to what we see in the scriptures, it gives us fullness of joy. It gives us pleasure. Watch this. Forevermore, the scripture says. It's for the remainder of our lives. I don't know about you. But if you want joy, stop joking around. Listen to what I'm saying. Stop joking around with your life pursuing things that don't fill you. 
Stop pursuing people. Stop pursuing possessions. Stop pursuing status. Stop pursuing appearance. Because none of that fills you. It doesn't. The only thing that can fill us with true joy is a personal and thriving relationship with God. And so joy changes everything. Watch this. Because once you know God, joy changes you. You show me a joyous person, and I'll show you change. You'll see that things changed. Actual change has taken place. The next point that I want to leave you with here is that we cannot confuse joy for happiness. Don't confuse joy for happiness. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. How many of you can attest that you, that you don't always feel happy? Right? How many of you would like to be happy all the time? Right? Happy all the time. Well, you know, happy happens. Happy happens and happy doesn't happen. But I'll tell you one thing that is constant. It's joy. Let me put it to you this way. How weird is it? How weird would it be for you if you always find people all around you that are walking around like this? How you doing? Just got in a car crash. My life is falling apart. Yeah, you know, it's just been a rough day, right? Isn't that kind of weird, right? What? It's, it, we find it weird, right? This is what I mean. Happy happens or not. But joy is different. Let me tell you why joy is different. Because joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. Let me show you this from Scripture. Psalm 118, 24. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Listen to what the Scripture is saying. You can leave that up there for a moment. Let's leave that Scripture up there for a moment. I want us to consider what's happening here. The Scripture says, this is the day that the Lord has made. And then it tells us, as a result of that, let us rejoice. See, you have to make the choice to rejoice. We have to make the choice to rejoice. The angels declared that God was bringing good news for great joy. So the news is being declared. But we have to respond to the news, friends. So here's a question that I want you to consider. How are you responding to the report that life gives you? How are you responding to the circumstances around you? How are you responding to a betrayal? How are you responding to a letdown? How are you responding when everything you're doing is right and somehow things keep going wrong? How are you responding when you've been putting it before God, you've been faithful before God, but it looks like nothing's happening around you? How are you responding? Are you responding according to the circumstances or are you choosing to live with joy? Are you choosing to respond with joy? See, when faced with unexpected challenges at work, when faced with a medical diagnosis, when faced with rebellious children, when suffering loss at the hands of others, when we're being betrayed by someone close, when we're rejected by people, all these things were going on. All these things happen in life. What's the report that you receive? Get this. 
God gives us good news for great joy, but you have to focus on the right news to rejoice in joy. I remember a story I heard. I, I, I'm sure I've shared it here. These two guys, they, they were monks, and they're on this journey, and as they're walking, they're walking in silence, and these guys took a vow of celibacy to never look at or touch a woman in their entire lives. And so as they're on this journey, they come to a riverbank, and there's this small, petite, beautiful woman who's attempting to cross over the river, but the current is strong, and, you know, she, she just can't get over it. And so one of the monks walks over to her, and he says, may I, may I help you? And she says, absolutely. So he picks her up, and he carries her over this river, and then he sets her down on the other side. And his fellow monk walks alongside him in silence for miles upon miles, Little did he know that this guy was stewing and brewing, and so eventually this guy just explodes. And he says, how dare you pick up that woman? We took a vow of celibacy to never look at or ever touch a woman, and you picked that woman up. You carried her. And he says to her, I did pick her up, and I carried her, but I put her down. You're still carrying her. Now, let me tell you why I share this, this, this analogy. Let me tell you why I share this analogy, because oftentimes... We choose to focus on what we don't like and what we perceive is wrong. We choose to focus on the bad news. And what happens when we focus on the bad news is we carry it. We carry it. And what we carry, that's not good news at all. What we carry that steals joy and life from our lives, what we carry that doesn't point us to what God is doing, robs us of joy. It robs us of peace. It becomes a burden. And friends, can I tell you, it's high time that we be a people, that we live with joy, and we just let go of the junk. Isn't that true? Man, I'd rather live joyous than live with junk. Right? See, so when we choose joy, we actually choose what is good and real. Here's the reality according to the scripture that we just read. This is still the day the Lord has made. Whether you feel good or not. This is still the day the Lord has made. Whether things look right or don't. This is still the day the Lord has made. Whether you're seeing results from the hard labor that you've been investing over the years. This is still the day the Lord has made. And therefore, it's a good day every day it's a good day all the time and because it's a good day every day because God is good get this there's always something good even when it looks bad there's always something to rejoice about even when everybody else around you is a sourpuss listen friend don't be a Grinch rejoice there's joy we have to choose I will rejoice I will rejoice I said I will rejoice you I mean you gotta listen sometimes you gotta talk yourself happy <laughs> you really do you've got to tell yourself it's still a good day God is still good God still favors me God is still for me so who can be against me I mean come on you gotta really tell yourself I'm good. 
<laughs> let, me, let me share a thought with you on choosing joy. Because choosing joy has real implications. It has real results for our lives. Nehemiah was a leader amongst the people of Israel. And everything had gone wrong for them. Everything. The temple that they worshipped God in was ruined. They were under the subjection, unwillingly, of a foreign empire. They were scrounging to make it. Many had walked away from God. Everything was a disaster around them. It would appear that they had no reason to be joyous. And Nehemiah gets up in the middle of all this rubble, in the middle of all this mess, in the middle of all this loss and destruction, and he declares to them in Nehemiah 8.10, do not be grieved. Watch this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your strength. Could it be that the reason why oftentimes we miss out on strength, while we're feeling weak, while we're feeling down, while we're feeling out, is because we're bypassing joy. Instead, look, we'd rather grieve than be joyous. Now, I don't know about you, but that's crazy. That has never worked. And so we have to choose joy because when we choose joy, we receive a strength that goes beyond our understanding. It's a strength that belongs to God. It's the strength of the Lord. How many of you know you can be strong today? Come on and tell three people, be strong. Tell three people, be strong. Tell another three people, be joyous. Man, I choose joy. We got to choose joy. The last point I want to leave you here with for reflection and application is that joy is for the journey. You know what's sad? Many times we choose joy for the moment. We're chasing a high. We're, cho we're choosing joy for the moment. We want temporary joy. We just want a feeling. And we don't realize that joy is for life, for the journey of life. It's actually something that we should be reaping as we walk with Christ. And in this regard, the Lord Jesus gives us a sobering thought about joy being for the journey. Jesus once said, in this life, I promise you this, you're going to have tribulations. It's going to get hard. There's going to be moments where it's difficult. There's going to be times where you just feel like you can't go on. There's going to be moments where you just want to give up. It's cold. It's hard. I'm tired of chasing after sheep. I'm tired of feeling far from God. I'm tired of trying to run this rat race to make it. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, 
we oftentimes lose sight of our reason for joy. We lose sight of what matters most. And so Jesus promised, you're going to have tribulations. But then he gives us a greater promise. But rejoice, for I have overcome. And I want you to consider something. That joy gives us the ability to overcome no matter the circumstance. Listen, joy gives you the ability, the strength, the willpower. It gives you the perspective that's necessary to overcome the hurdles of life. And James chapter 1, starting at verse 2, gives us a great way to do that. It says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Listen, count it joy always. There's always joy to be found no matter what you're seeing. No matter what's happening. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Watch this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's referring to peace. Right? And let steadfastness, again, and let, and choose to exercise this steadfastness, this patience. Let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I have a question in this house and online. Is there anybody that truly desires to have life in wholeness the way the scripture promises here? Lacking nothing. Is there anyone that says, man, I want to grow in steadfastness? I want to have stronger faith? Right? I want to overcome in greater measure. Well, guess what? You can't do that without counting it all joy. Joy is a prerequisite to peace, to strength, to wholeness, to healing. We've been conditioned in this world to rejoice after something happens. But you see, spiritual law dictates that we rejoice always. We don't rejoice based on what's happening. We rejoice on who's with us. Listen closely. I find it interesting that the Greek uses the term count it. Because when it talks about counting in all joy, here's what it's actually saying. It's saying, lead and rule over how you think with all joy. Rule over your thoughts with joy. In other words, you have to dominate these feelings. We have to dominate this negative news. We have to dominate these bad reports, we have to dominate what we've been conditioned to. You know, many times the reason why we respond to things the way we do is not simply because we see it that way. It's because we've been taught to respond that way. And I'm teaching you a new way. I'm proposing to you a new path. And this path says, count it. Rule over your thoughts with joy. See, we have, to, we have to lead ourselves with joy. We have to choose 
the report that we receive with joy. We have to choose to think differently about ourselves and about our circumstances. We have to choose not to be ruled by our feelings. Listen, these shepherds had plenty to complain about. I'm sure we can all relate in that regard. There's always something to complain about in life. You can complain about your husband. You can complain about how much you make. You can complain about your church. We get those emails. We read them. Right? You can complain about what you don't like in life. You can complain about what you don't have. And you're none the better. You're none the better. But you see, if you're going to overcome in life, you got to choose joy. So I want to share with you God's word today. Rejoice in all things. Rejoice. There's a reason why the scripture tells us that we should be thankful in all occasions. Because God's still working in the midst of everything. He's not the cause of your problems. He's not inflicting sickness on you. But I will tell you this, while you're going through it, he's there. These shepherds reflect the heart of God till this day. God met people where they were. And he said, I bring you good news. There's peace between you and me. And it's going to get better. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.